Thank you, Pierre. I got to hear that three times tonight. Amen. Well, this is Christmas. This is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And as I think about Jesus, uh, one of the things I love about him, perhaps as a preacher myself, and Jesus was a great preacher, uh, and one of the things I love about Jesus was his ability to take huge theological concepts and big spiritual realities and bring them down to a very simple, understandable concrete level that even a little kid could understand. And I appreciate him making it simple. Uh, you know, for instance, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I think, aha, I can understand that. You know, even though I'm a suburbanite, I get shepherd. Shepherd loves the sheep, shepherd counts the sheep, shepherd knows the sheep, shepherd protects the sheep. And so, through that simple analogy, I have this insight into who Jesus is. And he just seemed to do that all the time with his teaching. Well, tonight we're thinking about Christmas, of course. And I think if, if there's a simple, sort of boiled down, concrete image of Christmas that is dominant in the Scriptures, it's the simple idea of darkness and light. You, know, you, just, you find that when you come to Christmas. You know, Think about the shepherds out in the field keeping over watch over their flocks by night. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and, and this light fills the darkness. Or the magi who come from the east following the star, some kind of astrological phenomena that God caused to appear and led them to Bethlehem. And so they found Christ, this light shining in the darkness uh, or even just think about the Roman Empire, this oppressive darkness over the ancient world. Rome was this this monstrous iron hand that ruled everything and dominated everything. And think about even Joseph and Mary. Why were they going to Bethlehem? Because they had to go for a census, is what was read earlier. Because Rome said everyone must go for a census. And so everyone had to obey the Roman Empire. And then in under that darkness of Rome... A light was born in Bethlehem. And so light, dark, it's just it's part of Christmas. And we have all these candles we light. And we put candles in the windows. And we put lights on the tree. And we put lights in our houses. And we throw the kids in the car and drive them down the street to you know, the Clark W. Griswold in our neighborhood who's got his whole house completely covered with lights. And everyone's like, ooh and ah. You know, it's, it's the time of, of thinking about light shining in the darkness. So I just want to think with you briefly tonight uh, about the real meaning of Christmas, which I think is embedded in that very simple image of darkness and light. And yet within it are these great spiritual truths and realities that can be accessed through that simple image. So I want to look at a text, if you just look in your little order of service. I actually had it printed in there for you. So you don't have to open a Bible or anything. It's from the Bible, New Testament, book of Titus. This is just a little book, a little letter actually that was written by the Apostle Paul and he wrote it to a guy named Titus who was a pastor. And so Paul is encouraging Titus uh, just about the Christian life and how to minister. And here we come to this little passage. It, it may not be the kind of passage that you might, not, you might not associate it with Christmas because it doesn't talk about angels and shepherds and all that stuff. But, but it's a great passage because I think it gets at the theological essence behind the darkness and the light shining in the darkness imagery that just seems to pervade Christmas. And so, if you look at the first two sentences, we start with the dark, because you've got to start with the dark before the light comes in. 
So what is darkness? What are we talking about? The light shining in the darkness. Well, it says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What a, what a troubling picture of darkness. Darkness is, well, it's the world we live in, folks. This is how it is in the world. This is the world separated from God, and this is what it's like to live in this world. This is uh, the place in which we inhabit. Notice some of these characteristics. We were foolish. That's darkness. Disobedient. You know, at the very heart of darkness, to borrow Joseph Conrad's title, you know, the heart of darkness is ultimately our rejecting God as God on His terms. You know, why is the world broken the way it is? Some say, well, we need better education. Some say we need better medicine. Some say we need better economic policies. All those things are important, but it's not the source of the darkness. The darkness is not just out there, but it's ultimately coming from within here. And it comes because we're disobedient, because we've said to God, thank you for uh, making me and the world. I appreciate that, but I'll take it from here. (laughs) uh, My plans, my timing, my morality, my beliefs, my way of living... And if I get in trouble, maybe I'll give you a holler, but otherwise, I got it. And that's that idea of disobedience, that we do what we want to do without reference to God. And it brings us into darkness, because God is light. And if we are cut off from God, we're in the darkness, spiritually, morally, in terms of our relationship to God. And so look what darkness brings. Look at some of these other words. Look at the word before it. Foolish. If we're disobedient, we become foolish. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You know, how can we look at this world in which we live and say, ah, I'm not sure where this came from? Like, are you kidding me? The complexity, the intricacy, the beauty of this world? And yet people don't believe there's a God who could have created it. See, that's not an intellectual problem because there's smart people who don't believe in God. It's a spiritual problem. It's not that people aren't smart, it's that our hearts are darkened and we don't want to follow God and surrender to Him. We're deceived. Look at that other word. Boy, that was a tough one to swallow as I was thinking about this. I'm like, am I really deceived? I mean, no one wants to think they're deceived. In fact, it's human nature that everyone thinks that what they think is the right thing to think. And they think that if anyone thinks oppositely, there must be something wrong with them. I mean, this is how we all are. But we're all thinking such different things that, I mean, someone has to be wrong at some point here. But we all assume that we're the one who's right. When's the last time you heard anyone call in one of those radio talk shows and say, yeah, I'd just like to say that i got a lot of ideas here to share, but I'm pretty sure all of them are dead wrong. I mean, no one ever... Everyone assumes that everything they think has to be right, and how could anyone think opposite than I do? And so we're so easily self-deceived. We're so easily deceived into our own philosophies and thinking. Um, It's life in the darkness. You know, when I was a teenager, I grew up in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, which is why I still have such significant issues with snow and cold. And um, we used to do this really, really stupid thing when we were teenagers. We would go out in the desert for fun. We would find these old abandoned mines, like from the 19th, early 20th century miners had gone out there prospecting around for whatever they were looking for. And, and we, we would go in these mines just for fun, which was incredibly stupid because that's where rattlesnakes are, that's where poisonous gases you know, exist. That's where there could be cave-ins. I mean, it's just very dangerous. They, they have commercials on TV. If you find a mine, stay out of it. And so, of course, we went in because, you know, when you're 15, you can dodge bullets and jump over 
you know, buildings and all that stuff. So we, uh, we take our flashlights and we go way back in these mines and we get so far in where you couldn't see the entrance anymore. You're just in total inside this rock and then we'd all turn off our flashlights. Have you ever done that? Like maybe on a tour of a cave somewhere and, and usually they'll do that in cave tours. I've been on some different ones. They always take you in there. I was like, we're going to turn off the lights now so you can see how dark it really is and they turn off the lights and everyone's like, ah. Oh. And, and that's how it was. We turn off our lights. And when you're in that kind of complete darkness, what happens? Your eyes start playing tricks on you. Your brain starts filling in the gaps. You think you see things. You start seeing lights. You know, your brain starts making up. Your brain's like, I can't take this. I have to make up something. So you hold your hand in front of your face, and you could swear you see your hand. You say, I'm sure that's a wall right there. So you reach out your hand for the wall, and it's just nothing. And, and so that's what it's like to be in the darkness, is that we're deceived. We, we make up our own reality in front of us as if it's real, but it's not. Or look at another characteristic of darkness. Just two more here. One, another one is we're enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. God made us to have a passion and a love and a, a pleasure in God. You know, that, that's why we're here on planet Earth is to know and worship and love God. That He would be our ultimate joy and our ultimate pleasure. And even the pleasures of Earth would simply be channels through which we worship and glorify God and just savor Him. But because we have turned from our Creator in disobedience to the creation, we make little gods out of the things of this world, whether it's, you know, food or drinking or drugs or uh, money or power or sex or fame or relationships or whatever it is we get into that, that we put our passions and our energies to. But then what happens is they end up enslaving us. So the things that we think we freely choose because we can do what we want end up becoming our masters. And we find ourselves enslaved by the darkness. And if you're in a totally dark place, yeah, you can go where you want, but you're trapped by darkness. You, just, you don't know where you're going or what you're doing or why you're bumping into things. And so that's how it is. I mean, how many people you know, just drink their way through the holidays? Because that's, that, that's how they cope. Uh, that's become the enslavement. And then that last sentence, we lived in malice and envy being hated and hating one another. Isn't that the world we live in where people just are at each other? I think about the, the violence in the nation's warfare. Uh, there's a story I've been following in the news. You know how sometimes there's a story in the news and for whatever reason you just get intrigued with that story and you follow it and you kind of want, you know, you go online and say, oh, what's the latest development in that story? Well, there's a story that's gotten to me lately. I've just been intrigued by the fate of the people in Iran. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm just kind of intrigued by it. So I've been following it. And to think of these, you know, for the last six months or so, hundreds of thousands of Iranians marching at the threat of being beaten and imprisoned and tortured and killed, but marching for basic human rights and freedom and democracy. I mean, it's just really a compelling story. And I just felt led to pray for freedom there and to pray for the gospel to come there to the country of Iran. But you think about that, that's the world in which we live. Oppressive regimes, people harming each other, violence, malice. But it's not just faraway countries, it's, it's the, the malice of office politics. It's the kids sitting around the lunch table you know, with malice and envy and harsh words toward the kid at the next lunch table. It, hey, let's be honest, for some of us it's tomorrow at Christmas with our families. You know, for some people it's like, okay, tomorrow we've got to figure out how to get in and get out as quickly and as seamlessly as possible 
<laughs> so, so that there's not any fights and so-and-so doesn't flip out again this year like they did last year. Hopefully there's no drama. I, I had a guy come up to me after the, uh, the, the first service. Uh, he, he goes, that is so my family. He goes, we went in, we got out quick. He goes, because there's a guy there who's just, you know, he's wild, and so we didn't want to have a fight and a big, you know, bloodbath, so we just went in and out. And that's holidays, and that's why a lot of people drink their way through Christmas, because of our families. And so this is the world in which we live. It's a dark place. And we could probably go on and on with more examples of life in the darkness. But the good news of Christmas is that the light has come on. As it says in the next sentence, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. Don't you love that? It's a great light word. Light just appears. And it shines in the darkness. If you and I were in Gillette Stadium right now and it was all pitch black and we couldn't see anything and someone went down to the center of the field and, and lit a flashlight, you know, you'd see it from anywhere in the stadium. Light just appears and, and we're drawn to light. And God's love has appeared. But let me ask you this. How has God's love appeared? In a person named Jesus. I love that about the Gospel. That God didn't send me a philosophy... He didn't send me a self-help book. He didn't send me three religious rituals I need to do every day. He sent me a person. You know, ah, I get it. I understand a person because I'm a human. And so God, and I don't understand this, He took on human flesh and He walked among us. And notice why He came here. God's love appeared. The light suddenly shone in the darkness. And why did He come? He saved us. So Jesus came to save us. So, to put it this way, to understand Christmas, you really have to understand Easter. These two go together. If you don't understand Easter, you won't really get the true meaning of Christmas. When you uncouple Christmas and Easter, Christmas just becomes kind of a sentimental, touchy-feely time. But if you put them together, you really understand why Jesus came. That the Jesus who was born in the wooden manger came to die on the wooden cross. And on the cross, what was He doing? He was taking the punishment for my disobedience. That what I deserve because I have rejected the glory of God was poured out on Christ so that the guilty one could be forgiven. And so the amazing message of Christmas is peace between God and human beings through the mediator, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. That's the incredible message of Christmas. It's, it's the forgiveness and the sacrifice that Christ brings between an alienated humanity and God. It's, you know, go back and read these carols if you get some time tonight. Notice how many times it talks about the role of Jesus to reconcile God and man and to forgive our sins. It is the through line of Christmas and of the entire Bible, for that matter. And notice a couple other things, just two other things quickly here, about the salvation. First of all, it's God who saves us, not we who save ourselves. It says, He saved us, get this, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. So we're not saved, we're not reconciled to God through fulfilling God's laws because we can't do that adequately to please God. Um, let me just, can I just be blunt? One of, probably the biggest misunderstanding that people have about God and eternal life and salvation is they think 
the way to God is simply to be a good person. That's the most common misunderstanding. If I'm a decent person, haven't killed anybody, you know, I recycle, I, I give to charity a little bit, and, and I'm generally nice, and I let people out on the road to take left turns, and I'm nice, you know, that that's enough. But I'm telling you, the ticket to hell says on it, one decent person. It's not enough. Like we say in here in New England, you can't get there from here. No. And it's true. We can't get reconciled to God by simply trying to be better, by hoping that our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. Because God's standard is holiness. He's a holy God. And so rather than us saving ourselves, God was motivated by His own mercy to come and rescue us. And so the way to God is not by trying to keep the Ten Commandments or by following the Eightfold Path of Buddhism or keeping the Five Pillars of Islam or doing the two sacraments of baptism and communion. It sounds like the 12 days of Christmas, doesn't it? You know, the, the, the 12 ways of salvation, they don't work. All we can do is let God rescue us and understand that salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation with God and eternal life is a gift. And what do you do with a gift? You just open your hands and take it. You know, if someone gave you a gift and you said, hey, thank you very much. Here, let me get some money and I'll pay you back for that. I mean, they'd be offended. We can't pay back God for this gift. We, we can just receive grace and mercy for Him. Instead of seeing salvation as a paycheck or a medal that we receive for good behavior, salvation is a gift. And notice the second thing here, and, and we'll close with this thought, that He also saved us, last sentence, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So it's not just having my sins forgiven, but you've got to get this. Christianity is fundamentally about the supernatural power of God changing my heart. I think sometimes, again, we have this misconception that Christianity is about you know, going to church and rituals and you know, men wearing dresses in public and... Um, you know, things like that. Like, oh, if I do this and I take that sacrament or I try to follow these rules, that that's Christianity. But that's not it. It's about Jesus saying, follow me, and us being transformed by His power. Christianity is about supernatural power from heaven changing people one person at a time, causing the light to click on in our souls so that we follow and love the Lord Jesus. I think it is our, our nature to think that we have external problems that need an internal solution. So we think our problems tend to be external, like I need a better job, I need a better place to live, I need a spouse, I need a new spouse, you know, whatever we think our external problem is. And we think, aha, the solution is internal. I just need to work harder, be better, get a better self-esteem or whatever it is. And if I fix those things, then those problems will go away. And it's just the opposite. We have an internal problem that needs an external solution. We need God to come from the outside and transform our hearts. And so this is how God's kingdom has been spreading since Christmas. The first Christmas, I mean. Is that one by one by one, people are being transformed by the gospel like one candle lighting another candle, which in turn lights another candle. And as the message of Jesus spreads from person to person all around the world, the light is spreading as we come to Christ 
and allow Him to change us. And so it will continue to spread until Jesus returns someday and He throws all the lights on and the darkness forever recedes. Have you received the gift of eternal life through faith in Christ? Have you put down your supposed righteousness or worthiness and religiosity or whatever it is you think you have that you can give to God? And have you instead just come as a sinner with empty hands and said, Jesus, all I can bring you is the problem. Would you forgive me and make me yours? Have you received the gift of Jesus when he simply says, follow me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we worship You tonight because You came as a baby. You lived a perfect life as a man. You were crucified. You were buried. You were raised. You've ascended to the Father's right hand and from, then you, from there You will come someday to judge the living and the dead. And so we worship You, Jesus, because You're here with us tonight. And I thank You that that gift of salvation is still extended and that we simply need to take it by faith and put our trust in You. I pray, Lord Jesus, turn on the light in our hearts so that we can see the reality of who You are and what You've done for us. God, I pray for anyone here who has doubts and questions and, and isn't quite sure about all this. God, I just pray that You would turn the light on for them, that it wouldn't be any convincing argument by someone, but that simply, Jesus, You would reveal Yourself to each person. God, I pray for, for any of us here tonight who know You that we would just savor afresh the gift of our salvation. God, I pray for anyone who's here tonight who is grieving because this is their first Christmas without a loved one. Lord, I just pray that by Your grace You would fill in the empty places in their heart. Lord, I pray for anyone who's traveling tonight that You keep them safe for all those who travel tomorrow. Lord, I pray for our servicemen and women overseas who are spending Christmas away from home in uh, hard, harsh, dangerous places. Lord, would You be with them and protect them. Thank You, Christ, that You are with us wherever we go. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would receive your gift and love you. And I pray this all through the name of Jesus, the risen King. Amen.